You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcombe and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Proof Text. I am Michael Halcombe and I'm here with my great friend, Fred Long. Fred, can you remind folks what Proof Text is all about? Oh, yeah. Proof Text. So Proof Text is a podcast devoted to talking about the truth of Scripture and uh, in its contextual location and for applications today. So we're evidentially based in our approach to Scripture, and we like to probe it, ask questions, and ponder possibilities, and then in the end, try to make a decision to move forward proving the text by the text itself and our experience and understanding of life and theology. So is that, how is that? that Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's good. We've been, we've been um, uh, discussing Galatians as of lately, and we're having a lot of fun with that. Um, In today's uh, episode, we're picking up at, Galatians 1 9 and um, we're going to see that it's it's very similar to what we did in the previous episode which was of course verse 8 um, but yeah so, so open up your green Bibles and Michael why don't you read verse 9 to us all right um, it sounds like this os pro ire yeah sorry I thought I was reading John here or first uh, John for a minute here we go os Pro irrecamen que arti palin lego. Itis umas evangelizete paro parelavete anathema esto. Parelavete. Yeah. All right. So, very good. So, what uh, what's happening here? What do you see beginning at the beginning of this verse? Um how do you translate this, these first six words here? Yeah, so he's he's essentially uh, hearkening back. I mean, he's, it's almost like he's doubling down, right, and repeating uh-huh. himself uh, as we uh, as we had said. And now again, I am saying something to that effect. Yeah. So this would be a, what's called a meta comment, and it's a. A meta comment is a self-reflective statement about the communicative process. Here it's told from the perspective of Paul and, well, the brothers who are with him, right? Because he's writing Galatians along with all the brethren or the siblings with him. So there's the we, you know, as we have said, and now again, I am saying. So it's interesting. Do, Do you think? Do you think I'm right here to to call that distinction the we and the I as a reference to the we, the siblings, to then Paul? And if so, why would he be needing to draw attention to that distinction? Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's really good. I mean, rhetorically, it seems that what he's he's doing is um he's showing who's with him and who's behind him. Right. Um, so yeah. he's, he's not at this alone. Yeah. Uh, but also he's creating rhetorically a contrast between, uh, well, the past and present 
but also what what has already been said um, and what the opponents or the troublemakers have said. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems to me that maybe this move from what we have said and what I am now again saying that it may say it may imply that Paul has a particular dog in the fight. Right. So even though in the previous verse, verse eight, the we uh, is referring to this whole group of siblings and and then it's stated using a present general truth condition, which means basically that under any circumstances, anywhere, if there is a different gospel than what was pre- what we preach to you, let that person be anathema. But then in verse 9, Paul's voice becomes profiled, and, and, and now again I am saying, and then the construction is not a present generalized truth, but a present simple. A present simple, and the difference is the conjunction e, uh, meaning if as opposed to aeon. So e with the present indicative, and this would this would suggest kind of an acute specific situation that is ongoing. Hmm. That, that would be what I would see. Is, is being described here, that's a distinction to set up some specific situation. Okay. By the way, just a side note, is there a fan running in your background? I hear some static. Um, I don't. It may be my computer overheating a little bit. It's uh, okay. So, a little bit of a worrying. <laughs> is, that, is that worrying, worrying you? Yeah, nice. I see what you did there. Um, yeah, not to get us off track, but... Um, yeah, I think you're right on that for sure. He's certainly got a a big dog in this fight. I mean, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So then how do we break down this grammar then? So, so you get this big meta comment. So just as we have said, perfect tense. That's a perfect tense uh, indicative, first person plural, pro epon, pro legon. Something like that, Lego, pro Lego, a pro, pro uh, epon, and but a perfect tense, uh, and artipalin. I always think it's fun when you have two adverbs. You don't, we don't often see adverbs, but when you see them piling up together, you should pay attention. Mm. He's going to repeat arti uh, now, which means now he's going to repeat that at the beginning of verse ten, the next verse. And then get into an eti still. So this RT yeah. now with the pollen. So adverbs can modify verbs, but also adjectives and then other adverbs. And so here, mm-hmm. um, the RT and pollen are working together. Now again, I say. Yeah, it's almost like an exasperation, right? Like, it's, it's like when I, I tell my kids to do something, you know, like go go take out the trash and they don't and then you know half hour later now i'm telling you again take out the trash right like yeah. has this happened recently cuz it sounds like it's <laughs> fresh. fresh in your soul um, but yeah you no you're right yeah so there's a tonal issue here a matter of tone yes desperation i think so 
that's one of my my favorite things to do like as a somebody who's interested in performance criticism yeah is to play with the tone yeah. of verses yeah. um and i you know i think that I, well, i'm preaching on genesis 35 you know kind of a tangent here but um preaching on genesis 35 this sunday the whole chapter and it's really interesting because uh the the beginning of it um in hebrew vayamer alehim al yakov um or in greek even the otheos pros yakov uh well or moreover and god said to jacob and i just i wonder like how that sounded tonally and what he what he's going to say is go up to bethel and settle there and i think god is probably exasperated he's already he's already like told jacob several chapters back uh to do this and it's taken jacob a long long time to get back to bethel and because just prior to this right he's he actually stopped shy of Bethel and settled in Shechem and uh, Dina was either raped or went with this prince willingly. And then Simeon and Levi ended up doing all this bloodshed and killing the Shechemites and taking their wife and children and plundering their houses. And it's like all that probably could have been avoided had Jacob just obeyed mm. and went on to Bethel in the first place. Mm. And so I have to think that, some of the tone here with which God speaks to, to Jacob is just exasperation. And I kind of see that here in Galatians uh, 1, 9 as well. When, when Paul's saying what he's going to say, it's, it's got to be in somewhat of a frustrated or exasperated tone. Anyways, it's just yeah. fun to play with tone. Yeah, no, we have, and we have to pay attention because these texts were performed you read aloud, probably performed. There might have even been some coaching with the right. letter sender who who was the courier of the letter uh, to then gather the community and then have it read or performed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a break here and hear from our sponsor, Glossa House. Looking for creative ways to launch your biblical language studies to the next level? We here at Glossa House create resources with you in mind. We've created a stock of innovative and cutting-edge audio, video, digital, and print resources to help you reach your language goals. Visit GlossaHouse.com to find what you've been looking for. Glossa House, language resources for the global community. All right. Well, welcome back. We are in the thick of Galatians 1.9. Uh, I'm thinking Paul's exasperated when he says what he says. And uh, Fred, yeah, he begins with this, if anyone or if anybody. Yeah, he has to repeat himself. And then this is like the main content. Like you can skip over the first six verses, words, and mm-hmm. you can jump right into the etis. If someone you gospels or preach the gospel to you beyond which you received let them be anathema is how I would translate that. Yeah. So what are you seeing here? Uh, how is this different? I mean, there is a slight different in the construction, right? And and what's the, you know, the, the if clause, the conditional statement in verse eight, 
we start pulling that apart compared to the if statement in verse 9, there, there is a slightly different uh, perspective to it. And, and I think there might be some meaning there. We'll say more. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, in verse 8, it's we or uh, a messenger from heaven preaches different. So that's that's on Paul or possibly on this angel. But then in verse 9, he uses the indefinite pronoun, someone. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, this can be a distancing device because you don't know the identity of this someone. But this could be a tactic used in refutation, is that there is an opponent out there, but you don't even name them by name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or it could be he doesn't know who this person is, but someone. Someone has right. someone has preached to you beyond which then you received. Okay, so there's another difference. Uh, both of these clauses in verse 8 and verse uh, 9, they have a par-o, which is para with the o, which is a relative pronoun. But then the, the, the verbal perspective is different. In verse 8, it's we preach to you. In verse 9 is you received mm. what you received. So verse 9 is profiling from the perspective of their reception right. of the gospel. Shifted, right? On para lambano, there the verb. This is a second year's verb. Do you have any perspective on para lambano? I don't know. I mean, I was just gonna say. I mean, there's sort of. I don't know if parallelism is the right uh, sort of word for this, but yeah, it shifted emphasis from what they were doing or what Paul was doing to now the the focus. It's brought squarely into focus them. Yes, what they've received right. Yeah. Um, they're, culp- they're kind of being held to some culpability here in terms of the receiving subject. Right. right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. You're, yeah. you're responsible for what you, you take on. You're responsible for what you allow yeah. to be the centerpiece. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. You, you can't just blame that on mom or dad or on the preacher or whatever. You, you have some culpability in this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From, from, from my perspective, this paralambano, um, I keep thinking of it in light of a paradidomi. Um, I'm wondering if they're synonyms. So paradidomi can have an idea of passing on or receiving of tradition. And I don't know if this verb paralambano, what it's, if it's like a synonym to that, which is, you know, paradidomi or paradosis is uh, receiving or handing on of tradition. So I don't know if the para lambano has this kind of sense of receiving tradition or receiving instruction of some kind. That's an interesting thought. Really? Yeah, that's creative. Um, yeah. I mean, so in BDAG to receive something uh, of mental or spiritual heritage and then it gives examples of uh, from Herodotus, Socrates, Plato of mysteries and ceremonies that one receives by tradition. And so here, lo and behold, uh, they compare it to paradidomi, which has this kind of sense. So I'm thinking that it it has to do with um, 
receiving tradition or teaching of some kind. So a formal, it has more formal sense. I, I hadn't thought of that. It's yeah, really it's interesting. Formal sense. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I want to go back to what you're saying. Um, maybe there's a distancing effect, you know, playing with the, uh, the angelos, the messenger in verse eight. I mean, I wonder if, if you consider the angelos there is the same person, the tis here, is it like a double distancing effect? So, yeah, I know there's this person who's purporting to be a messenger from heaven who's telling you all this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to name him. And I know that there's someone, the, you know, gospelizing or gospeling among you, but I'm not going to name him. Um, I don't know. So that's just a, a, an interesting idea for me too. It, I, we, we, I tend to read them as different entities, but if, you know, we could take the liberty to explore whether they are the same entity. Would this have a sort of double double distancing effect? Yeah. yeah. And this idea of people presenting like a different gospel, it shows up in different places very poignantly in 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, Paul says in verse 4, If anyone comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you did not receive, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted. He says, you bear this beautifully. <laughs> mm. He says right away, in support of this, right. for I consider myself not least inferior to the most eminent apostles. Okay, mm. so, so what, what this suggests is that Paul has been fighting and will continue to fight against people yep. who might lay claim to special spiritual authority. Yes. And so here, you know, he's in, in second Corinthians, I should say rather he's, he's struggling with, with super apostles, these guys, guys, maybe women who he considers super apostles. And then he has to kind of boast about some of his um, spiritual encounters. uh, And he's a little bit tongue in cheek there, but um, you know, in this, in this ancient world that Paul lives in, that there are people who had experiences that they could then use as a basis to lay claim over authority for people. And, and, mm-hmm. and Paul is resisting this kind of thing. He has to confront it and resist it. Yeah. yeah. Do you think the Utarasundes, the troublemakers, or however you want to call them in Galatia, are the same as the troublemakers uh, in Second Corinthians? Oh. And perhaps elsewhere, or do you think they're different parties? I mean, that's the big question. I mean, uh, one of your former teachers, right, uh, Sumney, Jerry Sumney, yeah. wrote a whole book on this, like the opponents of Paul. Mm-hmm. It's a big question. Who are they? They seem to sometimes lay claim to spirit, special spiritual credentials of miracles and powers. They certainly seem to be related to Ju- Judaism in some way, like promoting. Jewish traditions and authority uh, in second Corinthians, like they're slapping people, you know, and Paul's like, you know, I was too weak to be slapping people, <laughs> you know? So right. these people were apparently, they had a lot of bravado, <laughs> a lot of bravado, Medi- Mediterranean, you know, oomph, uh, whatever you want to say that. Um, Honor. And, 
yeah, so there's a lot of honor and shaming going on. They're laying claim to like genealogies and their heritage. I I don't know. It'd be it'd be interesting to think that they might there might be some connection. If so, they might have changed their tactics a little bit because I'm not sure in, in Corinthians that we're seeing them promoting um, Jewish practices like circumcision and that. So maybe they learned something. Maybe they're softening their approach and trying to kind of get in to the Corinthians and then maybe slowly put down the, the, the hard rules on them. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think they're the same people? Yeah, I tend to think that the early on letters, that it's probably the same group uh, sort of being dispatched to follow Paul wherever he's going. I don't know so much about the later on letters, but yeah, I think. I well, think no wonder he's so pissed off in Second Corinthians. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. he really is. And it's it's startling for people to read these chapters. I mean, for right. Second Corinthians 11, 10, 11, and, and 12. I mean, he is really mad. And you're like, gosh, is that Christian? Can you do that? I mean, could you be labeling people that way and name calling them? Well, I mean, like if Michael said, if these, if what you say is true, like if these guys were really dispatched to plague Paul, I mean, there's a point where you, you got to say enough is enough and you have to call a spade a spade and whatever, you know, and just yeah. say this malarkey. Completely. I know there's a lot of, I know there's a lot of debate over the, what's in Second Corinthians, right? The thorn in the flesh bit. Oh yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah. And, and you can't pray away. And it seems to be an agent. Well, it says it's an agent of Satan. Yeah. I, I think uh, I, I equate that to the, these troublemakers, but specifically with those who are calling into question his status as an apostle, a legitimate apostle, his apostleship. And so it's this, it's, you should term, you just use this plague, right? Is this enduring plague of him constantly and consistently being questioned about whether he's really an apostle or not. I think that's what the thorn is. I know a lot of people think it's bad eyesight. And that kind of, I don't think so. No. And that actually comes up in Galatians because there's a passage in Galatians yeah, where right. he talks about the temptation in his flesh. And I have a totally different read on that. I do not think that's in reference to his ailment, but rather to some aspect of his gospel. We'll get there. That's in chapter yeah. four. Yeah. It may take us till next year, but we'll get there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> how many weeks yeah. are in Galatians? We're doing one, one a week. So that's yeah. okay. we're, we're yeah, in a yeah. this is too much fun. Yeah. So, well, any other thoughts on verse nine, chapter one, verse nine here? No, other than, you know, that he, again, he switched it to an E, the conjunction E, if with the indicative followed then by an imperative present imperative. And I think that this, uh, this is getting closer to the heart of the issue. It's, it's a concrete, simple, present construction with the indicative mood. The indicative mood is the most vivid mood. And so it's the most concrete, vivid in terms of concrete on the ground. This is what's happening right then and there. And we're going to see another uh, condition in the next verse. Really, these are a study of conditions, 8, 9, and 10. But we'll have to get to that next time. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh Appreciate the insight, Fred. You have a parting shot for us here? Yeah, this is a, a quote. In religious belief as elsewhere, 
we must take our chances, recognizing that we could be wrong, dreadfully wrong. There are no guarantees. The religious life is a venture. Foolish and debilitating error is a permanent possibility. If we can be wrong, however, we can also be right. That's by Alvin Plantiga. Oh, yeah. Book on warranted Christian belief. And here I think he's he's talking more a little bit about speculative kinds of ideas that it's okay to venture out. Mm. But I think, you know, there is clearly a place to say anathema. Mm. Mm. Well, appreciate everyone listening. Appreciate the insight, Fred. Uh, hope you guys are enjoying this. And uh, next time we'll pick up with Galatians 1.10. So um, until then, aloha. See ya.